the first thing that you have to do in any successful company in any successful sports enterprise is to build the right culture. And the culture can only come from the owner because the, 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 the culture is going to be tested every single day. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast 15 years, over 600 episodes featuring conversations with the biggest names in sports like David Stern, Pete Carroll, Chris Abbott, Jeannie Buss, Michael Vick, Andre Iguodala, Mark Cuban, Tom Rinaldi, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, Lindsey Vaughn, Eric Spolster, Aaron Rodgers, and Steve Nash on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. Subscribe, rate, and review the Sports Business Radio podcast on iTunes, and everyone who posts a review on iTunes will be eligible to be selected to join us in our studio audience at one of our Sports Business Radio roadshows presented by Boingo. And we're also on Spotify now, so you can find us there. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years, and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Blinder is the way high-performance teams connect their talent with the media and fans. It lets communications managers provide unprecedented access to their athletes, entertainers, and executives while respecting everyone's privacy and time. Blinder makes phone calls magic. Request a demo today at blinderhq.com backslash sbradio. Joining us now on the Blinder guest line is Michael Lombardi. He's the author of Gridiron Genius, a master class in winning championships and building dynasties in the NFL. Find it on Amazon.com and at bookstores everywhere. Throughout his three-decade-long career with the NFL, Mike Lombardi worked as an NFL executive with the San Francisco 49ers, Cleveland Browns, Philadelphia Eagles, and Oakland Raiders alongside NFL legends including Bill Belichick, Bill Walsh, and Al Davis. On his podcast, The GM Shuffle, Lombardi tackles a wide range of topics weekly within the world of the NFL and breaks down everything listeners and fans need to know about players, coaches, organizations, the draft, free agency, and all of the NFL storylines. Find The GM Shuffle podcast comes out twice a week. It's available on all podcast platforms. Find Michael Lombardi on Twitter at MLombardiNFL. Well, Michael, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm great. I couldn't be better. Excited. Football season, fall. I mean, there's really not a better time in America. Let's start off with how you got into this business. I think (laughs) that's always an interesting story. You played baseball and football growing up, but what led you to want to get into the business side of sports? You know, I think two factors. One, I started playing this game called Stratomatic Baseball when I was a kid. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. Michael Sanino, you know, and I, and I know that sounds ridiculous, but I, there was really two, uh, it was the perfect storm. So I start playing this baseball game, card game with dice, and I get fascinated with team building. And then I turn my radio on and this guy's talking about Highway 9 and he's talking about chasing your dreams and he's talking about, you know, doing what you want to do in life. And so, you know, I followed Springsteen's words and I followed my passion and I wanted to be in football. I wanted to build something in football. I wanted to operate as a team builder, an architect, and I was going to chase my dreams. And there's an old saying that the world gets out of the way for people that know where they're going, and I kind of knew where I was going. Now, that's great to have a direction. So, you know, you start off, and, and I know you worked in the college ranks a little bit, but one of your first jobs in the NFL, you're working for Bill Walsh. That's that's pretty yeah. great to, to start your career 
with Bill Walsh. I know you've worked with Bill Belichick, some of the greats in coaching. What's the common thread that they share? Well, you know, that's really, uh, it's pretty obvious that, that they're, they're, their ability to to see the non-obvious, their ability to focus on what truly matters towards winning, is really what is the that separates them. They it's a little bit like if you ever watch Sherlock Holmes shows on TV and he walks into the crime scene and he looks at things and he breaks seven things down that all of us didn't see. That's Walsh and Belichick. They have the ability to see what no one else sees. They understand what to work on. They're divergent in thought. And yet people mistake it for being creative when in reality they just understand what is what really matters towards the ultimate goal. Give me an example of something that you noticed that one of them saw that they picked up on that, you know, like you said, on the crime scene, none of us see it, but Sherlock Holmes sees it. Right. So, okay, everybody thinks he invented the West Coast offense, Bill Walsh, but that was really what he sold as the idea. But what he invented was complementary football. What he believed more than anything was, I'm going to throw the ball to, to lead early in the game, and I'm going to have a defense that can rush the passer and complement my offense so that we can go in at halftime with a 10-point lead and create a turnover in the second half to make that 10-point lead a 17-point lead. And so what he did was the most important stat in football today, today, now, no one will talk about this on the air on any pregame show, but first half point differential is the most important stat in football. Who goes in the lead at halftime? If you look at the last Super Bowl champs over the last five years, the team that's leading in halftime is typically the team that wins, that goes to the Super Bowl and plays for the title because it allows your defensive coordinator to play complementary, to blitz, to do more, to build a 10-point a lead into a 17-point lead. That's the brilliance of Walsh. Wow. I want to continue to talk about building a championship organization. And again, your, your book uh, goes into a lot of this detail, and it's available in paperback now as well. But when you're building a championship organization, there's so many elements of it. You've got ownership, and obviously all owners are different. You've got the front office and football operations. You've got the coaching staff, and then obviously you have the players. How do you get everyone in alignment? What's the key to doing that? Well, the, the owner's the key, right? I think that to me, the NFL is about ownership. It's not about anything. Businesses are about ownership. It's what is the plan? You know, what do we want to become? What is the vision for the company? And once that vision's been declared by the owner, then he can step back and allow the people to implement the vision that's creative. The first thing that you have to do in any successful company, in any successful sports enterprise, is to build the right culture. And the culture can only come from the owner because the, the, the culture is going to be tested every single day. And someone has to have the discipline and the mindset to allow the culture to take roots and not be like the bad farmer who's constantly digging up the roots to see if everything's growing. There's got to be patience. There's got to be discipline. And someone needs to drive the culture. When Walsh and Belichick start, started their companies in San Francisco in 79 and Belichick in Cleveland in 91 and then in New England in 99, they were all about 
establishing the culture. That was the most important thing. Everybody has a job to do. Everybody's expected to do their job, and everybody's job description is written out for them. And then we all work together because they define mental toughness as doing what's right for the team when it might not be right for you. And that's hard to get people to do unless you have the right culture. You're listening to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Michael Lombardi, author, podcast host, and former three-time NFL Super Bowl champion executive. We'll be right back after this. I can't tell you how many times over the years on Sports Business Radio that a PR person is asked to listen in on my interviews with their CEO, GM, coach, or athlete. They also want to call us in our studio so that we don't have the phone number of the high-profile person who is calling us for our interview. Blinder has developed a technology that solves these issues that have existed for years. Use Blinder's unique technology to connect your athlete, coach, or executive's personal phone for any interview without sharing their private information. Remotely control the phone interviews, set start and finish times, monitor online or with the Blinder mobile app, and listen to a recording of the call at any time for complete peace of mind. With Blinder, you're finally in control. The system works globally from any phone line. Scheduling a call takes seconds. Customizable push notifications ensure a connection, and no one needs to download anything to make or receive a call. PR people everywhere should be using this helpful technology. Blinder is now the technology we use for the official guest line for Sports Business Radio. Learn how to start your free trial by visiting blinderhq.com backslash sbradio. Now we're talking. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Michael Lombardi. We're seeing more and more teams, not just in the NFL, the NBA and others, where the second or third generation of family is inheriting the team. So they're now running the team, and they may not have the same knowledge, relationships, or vision as the patriarch or matriarch of the team. What happens then as far as keeping that connection between ownership? Because you're saying that's the most important thing to set that culture. How do you build the relationship with the second or third generation who's now running the team? That's the challenge. I think it really is in the educational process. It's got to be this is who we are. You know, when you... When the FBI searches for serial killers, they don't open up the phone book. They have a profile of exactly what they think they're looking for. Well, if you own a team, you should have a profile for exactly what you want your team to be. Hmm. And that profile should be passed down from generation to generation. This is who we are. Now, that's not to say we're just going to do it this way because we always have done it this way. That's not how. We're going, what, what it means is we have to we have beliefs, we have morals, we have philosophies that you can't change us. This is who we are, and we're going to stick to it in terms of tough times and in bad times. That doesn't mean we're going to be, we're going to have not have the ability to be adaptable, no, but we're going to have our, our foundation is going to be rooted, and that's critical. And then you have to educate generations of owners on that. It's interesting. I, I know you've worked for some really tremendous owners. I know you've also worked for some, I would say, challenging owners or owners who are still kind of learning what their culture or their blueprint should look like. You know, Jimmy Haslam is a guy who still owns the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, I'm looking at him as they're trying so hard to change the culture in Cleveland. And, you know, they drafted Baker Mayfield. They brought in some big name players. But, it's not as easy as just changing the players, is it? No, I mean, I, you know, Jimmy would ask me constantly, and I wrote about it in Gridiron Genius, about how 
what makes a great owner? And every time he would ask me, I'd give him the same answer. But I think he must have asked me two, three, four times a week. I couldn't quite get it through to him. He refuses to He refused to understand that Pilot Flying J and the Cleveland Browns were the same business. That the, you need the same business model. You mm. need He needs to be able to say, here's what I want from my football team. This is what I believe in. I don't want this type of player. I want hardworking, tough. And I think what happens to Jimmy is he becomes a little bit like the farmer who wants to dig up the roots. He has a he talks to a thousand people, and yet he and he has a thousand ideas. And we know this from experience. And I write this every day. I have a a, a daily email letter that I write called the Daily Coach with Coach George Raveling, and it's trying to help coaches understand what their d- dilemma is. Leaders, coaches, everyone. It's a business. It's a business email disguised as a football or sports one because coaches and, and business leaders are the same. And what we try to talk about every day is having to understand exactly who you are every single day and work towards those areas. And Jimmy listens to so many different people that he has a different mindset. I tell people all the time when I give talks, you know, if you might have an uncle, Fred Palermo, who used to tell me when we'd go to a diner, he'd say, Order the burger. They can't cook everything on the menu good. It's too many things, right? And if you go to the French Laundry in Yountville, they have five things on the menu. They can cook all those five things really well. So if you have too many things that you're trying to get done in your organization, you'll get none of them done. You have to take the Fred Palermo approach of five things, do them all really well. And sometimes that's really hard for people, and it's hard for owners because they're listening to too many people. Yeah, it's really interesting. I met privately with a pro sports owner this week. And he said, we were talking about the NBA and there's, you know, there's 30 tickets to be in the club. And with the NFL, what are there? 32 teams? There's 32 tickets to be in the club. And some of what I'm seeing now is they're not, they're, the owners are a little bit more of a fan and they want to have a ticket to the club that they could never otherwise have. They own everything you can own business wise. But this ownership of a sports franchise gives them that exclusive ticket to the club. So when you have that mentality and you're not running it like your normal businesses that made you your billions of dollars, that's got to be a challenge. It is, and it's hard because when you're running your normal businesses, there may be a section of the paper, that of the local paper, that talks about you, but you're not every day. Nobody's really paying attention to what you're doing until you make big news. Whereas when you own a sports franchise, every day they have writers coming and covering you. Mm-hmm. That And that every day requires you to maintain your discipline, to maintain your beliefs. Because what happens to the teams that often get away from it is they don't have a culture. And this is just really, you see it all throughout the league. You see it in the NBA, you see it in hockey, you see it in all sports. Culture rules, and if you don't have a culture every single day and your owner believes in it, you're going to change it, and then once you start changing it, you become a diner. You're not the French Laundry anymore. One of the other challenges now is, you know, I've been around for a while now too, and you've seen the change with athletes and the mentality of athletes. In some ways, they've evolved to, you know, incorporate analytics and, uh, mental health, and, and there's so many ways that they're more savvy than the athletes were 25, 30 years ago. But in other ways, like with social media, things can go off the rails pretty quickly. When you're looking at connecting with an athlete who plays today, not someone like Joe Montana or Ronnie Lott who played years ago, how do you treat that differently? I think the number one rule is intelligence. 
the players today, we, we work in a profession that really has no racial bias. We work in a profession that has no age discrimination. And here's where you must understand the profession that you're in. You, your intelligence will drive people to you. If you're a 17-year-old kid with brilliance about the sport and can make the players better through your knowledge, they'll listen. If you're a 90-year-old and you have knowledge of the sport and you can communicate it, the players will listen. It's all about what comes out of your mouth. It's not whether you play the game or whether you didn't play the game, whether you're uh, African-American, whether you're Asian-American, whether you're uh, wherever you are, whatever race, creed, or color you are, what your intelligence is ultimately what drives your relationship with players yesterday, today, and in the future. So how do you, let's say you meet an intelligent athlete, or let's say you meet someone who isn't the most intelligent, but is athletically gifted. As an executive of an NFL team or any sports franchise, how do you make that connection? And I know it's not one size fits all, but is there a, you know, a blueprint that you try and use when you're trying to establish a connection with an athlete? Honesty. I think one size does fit all. If you try to lie or BS your way through the conversation or tell them how great they are, they're not going to listen to you. They expect honesty. They expect genuineness. They expect real. They expect you to come to them when things are good, things are bad, and be honest with them. Now, you know, that's critical. Players don't want to be lied to. They don't want you to. A player walks in my office and we're going to release them. I can't blame somebody else for releasing them. I got to be a man and say, look, we didn't think you did a good enough job. I support this decision. Here's where I think you need to work on. And if you do these three things, I think you'll prove us wrong. You can connect with players even in adversity because you've got to be brutally honest. And you've got to be man enough to say it. What's happened in our profession is because the media covers our profession, you don't want to get perceived as telling players something wrong because then your PR campaign can't work very well. If that's what you're after, you'll never succeed. You're listening to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Michael Lombardi, author, podcast host, and former three-time NFL Super Bowl champion executive. We'll be right back after this. When it comes to stadiums and arenas, every sports pro knows wireless wins. And when it comes to the best wireless technology for your venue, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., providing state-of-the-art Wi-Fi and cellular services that power amazing fan experiences. And Boingo makes keeping your stadium connected easy today and in the future. Thinking about 5G? Boingo's expert team helps you carry the ball through a complex technology landscape to deliver wireless solutions that will delight fans and deepen loyalty season after season. Here's another kicker. Boingo is simply the best connected experience for your business. With Boingo, stadiums and arenas enjoy unique operating efficiencies, revenue opportunities, and digital insights into their fan base. That's a win-win. Boingo works with major league sports venues like Soldier Field, Vivint Smart Home Arena, State Farm Arena, and university stadiums like University of Louisville and K-State. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports. If you would like more information on Boingo Wireless, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Michael Lombardi. Yeah, it's such a good point that you make. I I work with a lot of teams and a lot of athletes, and people are afraid to tell the candid truth. 
to the players because they walk on eggshells around them and they're afraid that, oh, they're going to get upset and they're not going to resign or their agent's going to be upset with me or someone in their family is going to be upset with me. And you're dancing around the issues. And, you know, I'm going to use a name here and I know you've talked about him on, on your podcast, but Antonio Brown. I look at someone yeah. like that who is immensely talented and, you know, historically good, but people have danced around the issue with him for a long time. And I think they created a monster. And now, you know, we see how that's turned out. Yeah. And they don't manage him. I mean, look, he goes to Oakland and they let him do whatever he wants to do for, for 10 days in, in New England. He did exactly what they wanted him to do. He was a model citizen. And I think sometimes we think players are going to behave because that's the way we would behave. And that's not the case. You've got to educate them. Hey, here's the way we're going to handle this situation. You know, when you walk into the Patriots room, there's only four things you have to pay attention to. Do your job, be attentive, put the team first and speak for yourself. You do those four things. You're going to have a long career there. When you start to speak for someone else, you're going to be making a mistake and someone's going to call you out on it, including the head coach. You cannot be afraid of confrontation when you're dealing with pro athletes because you've got to be able to tell them. That goes back to your agenda. That goes back to your culture. Where are you doing? If you allow someone to break your culture on a daily basis, your culture is going to fall apart. And if your job is to maintain the culture and you don't like confrontation, you're not going to last very long. I got to say this, and I know, you know, you're very close with him, but I, I did not like what Bill Belichick did this past weekend when he was asked by the female reporter from CBS about Antonio Brown. Someone in her position, she has to ask that question or the audience goes, come on, you're, you're skirting the obvious. And to me, I was disappointed because he is such an amazing coach and business leader. And I was disappointed in, in kind of the stare down and, you know, again, you're talking about how players and other people are, are feeding off of the culture that he sets. I didn't like that. Well, I, you know, I don't know the deal, but I can only say to you, based on the look, and I said this on the GM Shuffle this week, based on the look, I think he felt blindsided. Mm. And I have not talked to Bill about it, but typically when you do those interviews, you agree to do them. Now, the, the, uh, the, the team needs to supply either him or a player for the interview. Belichick doesn't want to give the players before the game. He wants them to focus, so he did it. Now, I don't know if there was a conversation between Dana Jacobson and Bill saying, hey, look, ask me anything you want, but just keep it on Miami or ask me something. But when she followed up with the question, it seemed to me, based on his staring, and this is just my perception of knowing Bill for as many years as I've had, right. is I think she she violated something that was communicated before. Because here's the thing, Brian, I've never seen Bill get angry. I've never seen him have that unless he felt betrayed. Bill's a very quiet, he says things the way he wants, he does it. I've seen him have humor, the, the smirk smile. That was, he was upset about something bigger than the question. Yeah. No, that makes sense. If if you agreed beforehand that this wouldn't come up and then you throw it in there, I could see how that would elicit that kind of reaction. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, again, some of the tools that are available when you're building a team now. It's so different than years ago. Guys are and, and women are wearing wearables for practice and you're looking at analytics and sleep studies and what are you eating and mental health and things like that. Are those things, obviously they're helpful and analytics is good, but, you know, I met with a team this week and, 
you know, I talked to some guys on the team, and if you looked at them analytically, you'd go, well, you know, you'd probably find someone better on their roster. But when you see the leadership and the intangibles they bring to that roster, you're like, okay, this is why these guys are on this team. Are we looking at analytics too much? Well, I think I think what I said earlier in this in this interview was that you, you have to see the non-obvious and you have to focus on what really matters. All this stuff that you're getting, you've got to be able to boil it down and work on what truly matters. Hmm. What's truly going to benefit your team to win? If you're doing everything because analytics says you should do everything, you're going to get nowhere. And so you've got to be really careful about what you're doing and, and does it always ask yourself, does it really matter? And, and I hearken back to probably the greatest lesson, having written a book, the greatest lesson that I've ever learned came from Robert Caro, the great writer of the Lyndon Johnson books and the Robert Moses books, the, the, the power broker. He writes a paragraph, no more, about what the book is about. And he writes it, he spends a lot of time on it, and he writes it in detail, just a paragraph. And every morning before he works, before he steps into it, sits in front of the Smith Corona electronic typewriter and starts typing, he reads that paragraph again to make sure he's back on track. Hmm. And I think we have to be able to do that. I wrote about this for the Daily Coach. You've got to be able to always get yourself back on the right track. And so with all these things that are pouring into you and all these numbers that are taking a peek at you, if you're not focused on what's truly what truly matters towards winning, you can get distracted. Yeah, no, that's really good advice because I think there's so much information that's thrown at us that you have to figure out what is the truly important things that, as you say, can get you back on track. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the current NFL quarterbacks. Uh, there's a lot of new quarterbacks. Uh, you know, I'm looking at Pat Mahomes, obviously, Lamar Jackson, Daniel Jones, who looked great last week, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold. A lot of young quarterbacks in the league right now. What are the keys in your mind to developing a young quarterback? Because some people are like, hey, sit him for the first year like Patrick Mahomes did, or, hey, we drafted him high, Daniel Jones, let's let's throw him in early. I think it all depends on the player, right? I think it's all about the player's experience, but I think you've got to find a way to improve the player during the year. Sitting them down isn't going to make them any better. You know, they don't sit uh, – fighter pilots down and wait a year before they put them in the cockpit. They might put them in a simulator, but they're going to have to have reps. And so you've got to find a way to get reps. Football is a mathematical sport. It's about how many reps can you get to improve your craft. No different than a golfer has to take so many swings with a club under pressure to be able to prove he can do it in a key in a key golf match. So it's all really about the player. For example, Daniel Jones is ready to play. He showed it this summer. Now, he's going to have highs and he's going to have lows, but he's ready to play. Is it going to be perfect? Absolutely not. But what, what situation you must really develop is the ability to understand that mistakes are great. Embrace them. we got to learn from them because once we make them once, we're not going to make them twice. So let's learn and grow together. And there's no better time than as you're building your football team to learn and grow together. How long do you think you need to look at a quarterback before you say this is what they're going to be versus they still are on that learning curve and you know maybe they need two to three years to develop? I think it's about 20 games. I've always said it's 20 games. I mean, look, Baker Mayfield this year is really struggling. 
you know, people were in love with Baker Mayfield, but there was always a concern when you watched Baker Mayfield play. Was height going to be a factor? Could he make throws from the pocket? How good was the offensive line? Where is his numbers this year? He's had 21 passes batted down in coverage by the offensive, by the defensive line, or by the secondary, as, as opposed to Patrick Mahomes, who's only had three in three games. Hmm. That's significant. That means the ball's getting touched way too much. Now, why is that? Well, it could be the Browns' offensive line. It could be because Baker really can't see and he's throwing the ball away. Whatever the reason, you need to nail it down. But I think it takes at least 20 games before you say to yourself, yep, we got it. We got something really special here. Or, you know what, we need to look for another quarterback. The guy that I'm in absolute amazement at is Lamar Jackson because when he was drafted, there were executives saying, oh, take him as a wide receiver. He can't play quarterback in the NFL. And I'm looking and seeing how that offense has been built around him. And guess what? He looks pretty good as a passer. He's not just a scrambling quarterback. What has Baltimore done to set him up to look like this? Well, they built an offense around him. You know, they did exactly what we talked about. They scouted inside out, not outside in. They took exactly what he could bring to the table, and they brought it to the table. They ran an offense where they utilized his skills in terms of his running. They separated the defense with a lot of play-action passes, and they've been very effective at throwing the ball down the field. And anybody who said that, that Lamar Jackson's a running back was completely not watching any of his games at Louisville because he could throw the ball. Now, is he consistent throwing it? No. But he could throw deep balls extremely well, and he was effective. And now as you go back and look at that draft and you sit there and say, okay, Mm -hmm. who's having a better year? Just go to QBR ratings at ESPN, which is a completely analytical service. You know, the number one quarterback in that draft was picked last. That was Lamar Jackson. He's ahead of Baker Mayfield, who was picked one. He's ahead of Sam Darnold, who has only played one game this year. He's well ahead of Josh Rosen, who was picked 10. He was picked last. But yet he's been the most effective. And I think it goes back to Walsh's point that really he made and I wrote about in the book. Very few people can evaluate the quarterback and even fewer can coach him. Yeah, that's I mean, that really is amazing. And I can't think of a position in sports other than maybe point guard and basketball where it's a more important position to your team. If you don't have a good quarterback, it's really hard to win. It's impossible to win. I mean, you got to have it. You got to have the point guard in basketball. You got to have the quarterback in football. And then you've got to be able to, quarterbacks in football are a lot like baseball stadiums. You've got to tailor your team around what he can do. Hmm. And, you know, when you build a baseball team and you have a short left field fence, you want to have, uh, you want to have a lot of right handed hitters so you can bang it out there. You know, if you have a big park, you need speed to play. You know, it's all predicated on where you're playing the game. And it's the same thing with football. What kind of team can I have? If I'm the Cleveland Browns, I have to have a really great offensive line because I have a quarterback that can't see. I have a six-foot quarterback. He has a hard time seeing over. If I don't give him protection and separation to keep him in that where he can see windows, I'm gonna, he's going to struggle. It's all about how you build your team through your quarterback. You're listening to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Michael Lombardi, author, podcast host, and former three-time NFL Super Bowl champion executive. We'll be right back after this. One word you wouldn't typically associate with a dress shirt is comfort. However, the folks over at Mizzen in Maine are changing this. Their shirts are incredibly comfortable. Mizzen in Maine makes dress shirts for men that fixes everything that's ever been wrong with shirts for so long. Their shirts breathe, stretch, and wick away moisture. It's like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for travel. 
They've taken the hassle out of looking great through wrinkle resistance and the ability to wash your shirts at home. No more last-minute ironing. No more after-work trips to the dry cleaner. It's a shirt that's worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head over to MizzenInMaine.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenInMaine.com, code SBR. I can tell you one thing. I'll be wearing Mizzen in Maine dress shirts at all future sports business radio road shows and sports PR summit events. I can't wait. Now, back to sports business radio with our guest, Michael Lombardi. I definitely wanted to ask you about this topic. Uh, Andrew Luck, Rob Gronkowski, Doug Baldwin Jr., who was on with me a couple of weeks ago, Calvin Johnson, all guys who had gas left in the tank. They were 30 or under and they retired. And, you know, in some cases, eyebrows were raised. Wow, I, I thought they still had something left. Are we going to start to see guys because they're making so much money and they take such a physical punishment in the NFL? Is this going to be the trend? Are people going to start retiring early or are these anomalies? You know, this is a hard one for me. I, I think that each case is uniquely different. Uh, you know, I think the, the volume of injuries and the length of the season really wears on people. And I think it's always going to come down to an individual basis. I think it's going to be how your body feels and how it handles it. It's. I hope it's not the case where we're seeing more and more of this, but I do think that the volume is getting to players. If you, the CBA is coming up in the not too distant future. And, you know, I know there's been talk of an 18 game schedule. If you were the czar, if you were Roger Goodell or whoever, and you could wave your magic wand and set the length for preseason, regular season, postseason, what would that look like? What's the sweet spot for everyone? I think we got to eliminate two preseason games without a doubt. I think the preseason is just really, it's, it's become comical now. I, I think we need to add two more playoff teams to each division. I think we should make those games. I think you should give, you know, a little bit of a, of a chance where we could see more quality games at the end of the year. Pick those two games up. Uh, I, I, I think the schedule with 16 games is good. I think the bye weeks, I think we have to eliminate these games where we're playing too quick, too fast. The Thursday night games, I know it's great for television, but for the players, it's not great to have to play back to back Sunday to Monday. Sunday to Thursday, if we could find a way to where we could make Thursday night where teams have 10 days off, I know that's impossible to do. But to me, I think the Thursday nights are are too quick back from playing. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And, uh, you know, all the players that I've talked to, that is hard on your body to recover. I mean, you've, you've been around this for your whole life. Can guys recover from the previous game in, in four days? I would think not. No, I, I think it's hard. And I mean, first of all, your product isn't good. You can't get the players ready to go. It's hard to get, it's hard to get, uh, it, it's hard to get the team prepared. Your, your game planning isn't the same. So yeah, I mean, it's really difficult. All right. A few more questions. Uh, you're a super intelligent guy. And one of the things I used to work for the Portland Trailblazers. So I've worked in a, in a front office of a, of a professional team. One of the things that I think is always interesting is some teams, do a great job aligning what I would say football or basketball ops, soccer ops with the business ops. Because at the end of the day, the people selling tickets and 
selling sponsorships and answering phones, they still want to feel like they're part of the team and they work for the team. But some organizations treat the two sides as if they're totally different. Like, hey, if you work in business ops, do not ever talk to the coach or the players. That's our jurisdiction. How do you look at that? Well, I think if you want to create the right culture, your culture just can't be spread to one part of the building, right? So Walsh, I mean, I talk about the story in there where he told me to, to remind him to fire the PA announcer at Candlestick Park because he didn't think he was doing his job. You know, everybody has to adhere to the philosophy and the, and the, uh, and the beliefs of the organization. And everybody has to be adhering to the same culture. You can't have one culture on one side and one on the other. Everybody has a job to do. We respect our jobs. We're all working together. And we're all building this thing, and we're trying to build a family atmosphere. Why do family businesses have more success than other businesses? Because they're willing to have disagreements, and they still come to the same point of they love each other. And you have to create that. You can't do that by separating the two. I think it's really important. You have to have business. Now, what happens is, here's where it gets a little iffy, when people don't know what their jobs are. Mm. When the financial guy comes over and starts talking about how we're overpaying players, and, you know, the, the marketing guy's talking about he can't win games, you know, he can't sell tickets because we're not winning games. you got to know what your job is. you got to stay in your lane. Yeah. And you got to adhere to your job. That's what really breaks down the communication. And somebody has to see it. Walsh used to spend time with every single department at the 49ers and remind them what their jobs were, remind them to stay in their lane and worry about themselves. But at the same time, I imagine the people who were on the business ops side loved the fact that Bill Walsh was interacting with them. Because I know, you know, when the the coaches or even a player gives you any attention, if you're on the business side, that means so much to you, and it inspires you to work harder. No doubt, and, you know. And he knew the receptionist when he walked in the room. He would say hello to Carrie, who was still at the Forty ers to this day. You know, wow. and he would. He knew them. He knew exactly who they were, and they would have conversations. It's important because the beautiful thing we had going for us, we had a, a really small facility. We had a really small facility, and we and we were able to all work together within that facility. If. Yeah, it's just, it's really, uh, it's, you've shared some great insight today. Um, doing my research for this interview, I discovered that you, like I, big, big fan of The Sopranos. Yeah. I love, uh, I mean, so there's a family business, right? A little bit different of a family uh, business, but, uh, they had a family business. They, they sure did. You know, I think the thing that I liked about it was the writing was so powerful. And growing up in an Italian-American family on the East Coast in New Jersey like I did, the humor that's in some of the conversations and the words that David Chase used. Uh, for example, when Uncle Junior says the gravy's good today, most people think of gravy as brown. If you grew up in New Jersey, you know, gravy's tomato sauce, right? You know, it's meat sauce. And so we call it gravy. It's just the little things that he wrote that made, were so powerful. Powerful that made it for me so so interesting and really was a comedy. I laughed out loud oftentimes. Did you have a favorite episode? Oh, you know, I have so many that I love. I, I think uh, you know, it, it, I go back and forth. Usually, the ones I love are the ones that uh, second opinion when Uncle Junior goes to see the doctor. It, it's just 
The reason I love it so much is because Junior's love of Dr. John F. Kennedy because of his name, but Junior's love of doctors. When my mother was sick with cancer, she loved her doctor. I mean, and it really was a lesson for doctors to learn that if they have better bedside manner, they won't get sued for malpractice <laughs> because the patients fall in love with them. My mother would listen to the doctor repeatedly, just like Uncle Junior. You know, he has the line there. So as you say, you know, and it's a, it, he kind of gets he kind of gets vulgar with it, but he'll do whatever the guy says to do. To me, that that's one of my favorite episodes. The last episode of The Sopranos. Lots of people had many opinions on it. What were your thoughts? Were you happy or disappointed? Uh, initially, I was shocked, but then as I thought about it, I think David Chase said, "You guys decide what you want." I felt really thankful that David Chase allowed me to have the power over his show and control the outcome in my own mind. Are you watching uh, the new HBO series Succession? I tried. I've started it. I haven't been able to get through it. Uh, I, you know what I find? I, this is I learned this from Neil Simon. Neil Simon said in his books he struggled to write really good plays early in his career because he never made the characters interesting enough in Act 1 or 2 for the audience to want to watch him in Act 3. I think you should choose your friends in the Neil Simon approach of, of, of playwriting, right? You want interesting friends that you could be with in Act 3. I have not found succession for me that the characters are interesting enough to get to Act 3. Uh, and maybe I'm not giving it enough try, but I'm disappointed in the characters. Everybody's miserable. Everybody's unhappy. I don't know what to make. Yeah, I'll tell you this. Keep watching because I, okay. I think you'll you'll start connecting with the characters, and they're all flawed, right? But well, they are in the Sopranos. I mean, they all right. flawed. But at least I laughed at Junior. At least I laughed at Tony. At least I laughed at Paulie. Partly because it was part of my heritage, and I've seen I had people in my life. Not that they were in crime families, but I saw, you know, a guy with hair. My uncle had hair just like Paulie. So I saw somebody who would dress with those white T-shirts that they did and with the polyester slacks. So I could identify with it. Last question for you. You do your own podcast twice a week. Uh, it's really good. The GM Shuffle. How do you like being a podcast host? I love it. I, you know, Adnan Verk has been tremendous. I did it with Tate Frazier at The Ringer, and now we're doing it with Cadence 13. It's been really refreshing. It's a chance to talk, and and really, it, it's a chance to express your views and have more than just, you talk, you talk, you talk commercial. You know, that, I, I don't watch television pregame shows because, I, A, I don't think I can learn anything, and B, no one really gets a chance to express anything in fairness for them. So, podcast you can really and i wanted to make it about like my book i wanted to be about football but i also want people that are that are in business that they listen to it they can learn something about how to run an operation or how to run a team now and you're one of the best gridiron genius a master class in winning championships and building dynasties in the nfl it's in paperback now you can find it on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere and the podcast is the gm shuffle you can find it twice a week on all podcast platforms. Michael Lombardi is on Twitter at M Lombardi NFL. Michael, really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Anytime. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. I know many of our Sports Business Radio listeners and my friends with pro sports teams fly by private or charter plane. So let me offer you this scattering report that will save you time and money. When flying into or out of New York City, there can often be long delays. 
That's why you want to fly into the brand new, pristine Republic Jet Center, located in Farmingdale, New York. That's just 30 minutes outside of New York City, making it the airport with the fastest time into Manhattan. Don't get caught up in delays flying into Teterboro or White Plains. Choose Republic Jet Center, and you'll experience all the reasons why you chose to fly privately. Republic Jet Center is a full-service, signature-select FBO that delivers an unparalleled level of customer service and safety to the private and charter jet industry. Enjoy Republic Jet Center's luxurious lobby and contemporary lounge in their new 100,000-square-foot facility. The concierge staff will gladly assist you with making any reservations you need while you're in New York City, from ground transportation arrangements, dining reservations, or even helping you with chartering a helicopter flight to Manhattan or the Hamptons. That'd be nice. Their comprehensive white glove FBO service and premier affiliations are compelling reasons why aircraft owners and operators benefit from selecting Republic Jet Center. Whenever I fly private in or out of New York City for the Sports PR Summit or the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, I now have a terrific new option, Republic Jet Center. For more information, visit RepublicJetCenter.com or call them at 631-881-9520. Follow them on Twitter at Republic Jet Center, and that's CTR for Center, or on Instagram at Republic Jet Center. Republic Jet Center, the official private airport partner of Sports Business Radio and the Sports PR Summit. This year marks the 100th anniversary of one of the most infamous events in American sports history, the Black Sox scandal. If you like the book or the movie Eight Men Out, hear the full story of the eight Chicago White Sox players who were banned from baseball for conspiring with gamblers to lose the 1919 World Series. New details have been uncovered that provide fresh insight into the scandal. So subscribe to the Infamous America podcast from Black Barrel Media on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any player of your choice. The series is available right now. Guests appearing on Sports Business Radio will receive a dress shirt from Mizzen and Maine. It's like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for travel. No more dry cleaning and no wrinkles. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. It's the most comfortable dress shirt I've ever worn. Head on over to MizzenandMaine.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenandMaine.com, code SBR. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at Boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. And we want to remind you all the great places you can get the Sports Business Radio podcast. We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in wherever you get your podcast, you can find Sports Business Radio. So download us for on-demand listening. Subscribe, rate, and review us as well. We always appreciate the reviews. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.